On the 26th of November in 2018, we ran our first ever live event specifically for an audience outside of the OCD community. It was hosted at the Hospital Club, the H Club, in London's Covent Garden. And apart from a few insiders, the audience didn't know we'd be talking about OCD and mental health. The event was pitched to them as an evening of music and spoken word live performances that was going to explore the secret inner workings of our minds. As the audience was settling in, chatting, ordering drinks and food, the piece of music you are hearing underneath my voice now was playing in the room. The piece was composed specially for the evening by the wonderfully talented Mitch Grusing. Slowly it started to interrupt the conversations that were going on in the room, like an intrusive thought repeating in their minds, and the room gradually quietened down as the music hit its crescendo. But we'd infiltrated the audience with four actors. We'd sat them at tables in different corners of the room, and one by one they stood up and spoke out an intrusive thought. Then they bounced back different thoughts between them in a piece of verbatim theatre that we'd devised specially for the evening. As the thoughts spiralled, they became darker and darker. And by the end of it, we most definitely had the attention of our unsuspecting audience. Unfortunately, as the verbatim piece was not run through microphones, it wasn't captured on the recording that was made on the night, but we do hope to record it again in the future so that we can share it with you. So this episode of the Secret Honest podcast is an edited recording of the show, and we're picking it up here at the point just after the verbatim theatre piece had stunned our audience into silence. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming along tonight. We thought we'd start you off with something really light and easy to get you in the mood. Because tonight we're going to explore the secret inner workings of our minds. Now, that piece you just heard, that was actually curated and devised from real intrusive thoughts. And it's all about exploring what it's like to live with obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, having intrusive thoughts is actually normal. It's part of the human condition. You maybe have had the one where you've stood on a platform and thought, what if I were to jump in front of that train? Maybe you've had that one where you've been sitting, having dinner with a friend, someone you know and love, and you think, what if this is the last time I might ever see this person? Or perhaps you've had the one where you say, what if I punch them in the face? And you think, whoa, that's weird. Where did that thought come from? But we all have them. It's actually part of us. And then you might ask, well, what on earth does that mean about me, the fact that I had that thought? So our identity is very wrapped up in this whole thing. Now, if you don't live with obsessive compulsive disorder, we're able to bat away those thoughts and get on with our lives. But what happens when you're not able to bat away that thought? That's when it becomes a disorder. And that's what obsessive compulsive disorder is all about. You heard some dark thoughts on that piece just now. 
And those are not normally the kind of thoughts that you would share with anyone. It's pretty much kept to with your therapist or perhaps with someone very close that you love. So it's a really amazing opportunity that we're here tonight talking about such deep, dark internal thoughts on a public stage. So I think we want to embrace that tonight, embrace that opportunity and all be quite open-minded. What you're going to hear is a lot more about OCD. But what I want to tell you is that having worked on this project for the last three years, I've discovered that the OCD community is full of the most compassionate people I've ever met in my life. And it's a fact that they are the last people on this planet who would ever act on a dark or dangerous thought like that. So don't worry. They're also a bunch of incre incredibly intelligent, smart, deep-thinking, creative people. And you're going to hear from some people shortly who deserve an awful lot of respect for getting up on the stage tonight and sharing their vulnerable selves with us. call out to the OCD community to send us their OCD stories. We had no idea what to expect. We had no idea what we were letting ourselves in for. But put it this way, today we have 150 wall posts up there. They are, some of them, extremely visceral. Some of them are quite heartbreaking. Um, some of them are hopeful as well, and there's a whole mix. They're all from all over the world, different ages, colors, creeds, etc. And I think just to give you a little bit of a flavor of the wall post that we got, we're going to ask our actors from earlier just to come up and read three of the shorter ones. This is a post by Alison, 36. What if I touch someone inappropriately? Even by accident, I can't be trusted. Before I was diagnosed with OCD, I thought I was depraved, even though I'd always thought I was good. That good people don't have such bad thoughts, do they? One night, utterly frustrated and worn down by the relentless images, I stood in front of the bathroom mirror, crying, and stared at my face. I looked at myself, sweet, innocent, normal, so I couldn't understand why my mind was torturing me. It was as though my mind had been taken hostage by someone immoral and dirty. Someone who was forcing me to think of unbearable things. <coughs> Being diagnosed and realising I wasn't alone saved my life. This is posted by Warren, 23. The voices tell me if I write on the wall, it is a sin and I will contaminate myself. My intrusive thoughts scare me, and the voices in my head tell me that if I don't do a ritual in a specific way, I will go to hell or something bad will happen. This is also related to writing this post, as when I decided to write it, the voices told me that it is a sin to write on the wall and I will contaminate myself. This is a post from Alfie, who's 22. My OCD is, is like having a bully on my shoulder who asked me 10,000 questions a day. My OCD triggered when I was 16. It was, it was literally like a snap of the fingers, a trigger. 
And from that very moment, my life has been a huge struggle. OCD has questioned every aspect of my life, from doubting my sexuality to convincing me that I'm a pedophile. My compulsion, my compulsion is simply ruminating endlessly to the point where I don't even know what's going on around me. The problem I'm suffering with at the moment is doubting whether or not I actually have OCD. Deep down, I, I know I do. But the bully on my shoulder will find a reason to doubt. It's currently trying to tell me I, I shouldn't even be submitting this because I don't actually have OCD. So OCD can afflict anyone, but the rituals and the compulsions that we're more familiar with, that we associate with OCD, is just one part of the OCD loop. What it actually starts with is an intrusive thought or maybe an intrusive image or urge in your mind. And that creates huge anxiety. And then, in order to relieve your anxiety, that's when you do the ritual or the compulsion. Having done that, that relief doesn't last very long if you've got obsessive compulsive disorder. And then it just comes back and it reinforces itself. And the spiral gets worse and worse and worse and the thoughts get darker and darker. However, sometimes some of those rituals and compulsions aren't exteriorized, which is what makes it a lot harder to get diagnosed. Sometimes it's all just going on in your head. Our performer who's coming up on stage now, Maxine Clay, she's going to be able to talk about more about that afterwards in the discussion bit. She's going to perform her poem, The Spider, that she wrote about her OCD. There was a young girl who caught sight of a spider. It wiggled and it wriggled and it jiggled beside her. She hadn't seen one before, not that she could recall, with such a monstrous shadow and legs so tall. So she pondered, uncertain of how scared she should be, thought if she covered her eyes, it might leave, quietly. But it scurried and it flurried and it rattled her bones as she tried not to think it began to edge close. Was it harmful or kind? There was no way to know. She thought it's safer to hide. Leave that creature alone. So she curled herself up and she writhed in the corner. As she imagined it squished, it headed straight for her. There was a young girl who remembered that spider. It wriggled and it jiggled and it niggled inside her, would sprawl out its legs and tread spikes in her tummy, would stiffen her jaw and make her feel all funny. Filled her dreams with the scene she was stuck in a web. It would bite at her legs as she desperately bled. Thoughts went horribly dark, hung there trembling and beaten. She lost all her pluck and felt doomed to be eaten. But then that young girl, one day, she got bigger. The sight of a spider beside her would trigger, not the thought of an end there suspended from ceilings, nor the judder of bones or those torturous feelings. She reached out to that spider that stirred her so much she thought nothing to lose if she just picked it up. Though its shadow was huge, it was tiny quite simply, 
felt it light in her hands as it bimbled there limply, much smaller than her, just one-tenth of the size of that same creepy crawly her mind had multiplied. There was a young girl who made friends with that spider. The spikes, they began to subside deep inside her, as it, as it danced in her hands and she kept herself cool. She found herself asked if it existed at all. moving poem and we've spoken before Maxine about how everyone has a spider um, and one of the things that makes it so moving for me um, relating to my own circumstances is that my mum is 62 I think don't quote me on that and she still doesn't know she has all the rituals but she doesn't know anything about why she knows she doesn't feel right but she hasn't quite found her spider yet to know why she doesn't feel right. How do you think you got to the point you're at that you could put your feelings into those words? Well, actually, I think for a really long time, I was living like your mum, and I just knew that times could be really stressful, and I was having a lot of strange thoughts, um, but I didn't really know what was going on. So I thought that was pretty normal way of living. Um, and then I got to a certain point, actually, um, when I wrote that poem. That was a dream. So part of that poem actually happened in the dream, the dark, dark bit. Um, and a spider was running after me and, and bit my leg. And I woke up kind of really hot and sweating. And, and I'd been in therapy anyway because I'd got to a point where I realised that I needed some help and working through things. And then I started to realise uh, that there was actually a problem. So I guess I, when when... I wrote that poem, I was already at a point of realising that there was a problem and starting to think about how I was going to overcome that problem. And, and therapy was a big part of that, which I guess uh, my mum has now, actually, but only for the last three years, which, at her age, I always think, oh, if, if someone had have got you to mm. therapy sooner, what, what difference would there be in her life and all of our lives? Yeah, I think it's really personal. I mean, we're going to hear from different people tonight and... Um, I think OCD affects people in really different ways. There isn't one answer for, for everyone's condition or the, you know, the way they experience it, but definitely for me it was the answer was therapy and I'm, I'm sitting in a really privileged position now where I can look back on that as a period of my life that I have now moved on from and, and I'm able to talk about it in retrospect. You said to me that being, you find being open is healing for you. Given the culture we live in, business and all that kind of stuff, um, aren't you putting yourself in an extremely vulnerable position by being so open? Yeah, I think being open is really healing and, and I'm definitely putting myself in a vulnerable position right now. Nobody I know has come to this event on purpose. Um, and I'm, I'm very much, this is part of a process of me opening up and being able to talk about things. Um, with the benefit of hindsight in a way, you know, I'm looking back on something, I'm not in it right now. And if I was, I might find it really difficult to come and speak with you today. So this is me starting to share my story. Uh, and also, I, I it's funny the way that I found out that um, what I was suffering from was actually OCD and, and a pure O, so purely obsessional version of OCD, was because I went to a poetry slam after I'd written this poem and I shared the poem and someone came up to me after and said that was an incredible poem. Um, it really resonated with me. Actually, a friend of mine, she talks like you. Have you got OCD? And I was like, 
I don't know. I was, I was actually, you know, having those thoughts at, at the time and actually the existentialism kind of racked right up um, of me wondering and going away and kind of thinking, you know, what is actually going on? Is this time for me to be more open with my, with my therapist? I was working at the time and let them know what, what other things I've been thinking um, if, this, if this is what it might be. And I went online to uh, look into it and that's where I found the secret illness uh, website, looked at the wall and I was like, this unfortunately, definitely sounds like something which has been going through my mind and happening to me. Some of these posts are really resonating with what I was going through at the time. Um, wow. So, yeah, I think being open is healing, but it's part. It's a process. I think everybody has got a spider, um, and when that spider feels like it's overwhelming you and you can't get on with your normal daily functioning, um, that's a time definitely to, to get some help. But I feel like as a society, we, we are learning to be open. It takes bravery and patience and, and openness from everybody. How, how do you, I mean, you have a proper job. <laughs> you um quite a, you know, important job. It's like, how do you manage your OCD within your business life? Yeah. Well, now, I mean, to, just to be completely open and transparent, I still have very strange, weird, um, ludicrous thoughts often. But now I, I feel like I have a faculty developed inside of me, thanks very much to my therapist and the therapy that I, that I had, which means I can have those thoughts and let them go and not let them affect my day-to-day -day. but um, I think so basically the way that it worked for me is that there's certain things which really triggered my obsessional thinking and it was very much like the starter at the beginning with the actors um, and kind of showing their scripts and all the different things that we said I would get the same thought over and over and over again that would kind of rack up in volume to the point where I just felt out of control and, and would suffer from anxiety and get panic attacks and that kind of thing um, and one of the triggers for me so it depends how your OCD works but one of the triggers for me was um, short spiky hair on a woman um, that's a danger to me that made me feel like I might get hurt which is completely um, not what I think now I know it's not true it's irrational but that's very much what my OCD was doing it, it meant I couldn't manage these these I couldn't rationalize my thoughts and so it got to a certain point in a meeting um, when I was chairing the meeting actually and was in a leadership position and my colleague walked in and had just had a haircut and all the back of her hair was short and spiky and, and I carried on going through my agenda and I got to a certain point and the intrusive thought of she's going to hurt you, 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 she's going to and it started getting louder and louder and louder to the point where my, my palms were sweating, I had to excuse myself from the meeting, did it seamlessly, I mean, complete, wearing a complete mask, no one at work had any idea what was going on in that meeting still doesn't actually and I went into the cubicle the, the bathroom cubicle sat there for ages kind of wiping away the tears and just counting down from 10 um, not knowing how to control that that feeling I think one person was reading out the post of it feeling like there's a bully on your shoulder and you, you kind of know it's not true but if, you're, if something's told to you in your mind so many times you start to wonder whether it might actually be true yeah, and then I had to, and then I went kind of, you know, dusted myself off and went back into the meeting. No one had any idea what was gone, what had gone on. You know, I, was, I just sneezed, sorry, you know, and you know, watery eyes a bit, and and carried on with life. And I think that that a lot of people who are suffering from OCD in one way or another and have that condition, um, that's how they live.
I've watched it on a documentary on TV where somebody goes in, because of their rituals, I, I don't have particular specific rituals, but they have to touch metal when they're in the bathroom. So they go from the door handle to the toilet roll holder kind of like that, um, and, and that's how they need to go to the loo. And, but nobody in the workplace has any idea what's going on for them. And when they come out, they get on with normal life again. So I think, you know, it, it's often something really going on behind closed doors. Which is why it really is a secret illness and often remains a secret illness because people don't talk about it and don't know what's going on. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Maxine's in a really good place now. She said it's okay to ask any questions within reason. Yeah. <laughs> Would that be yep. fair? Um, Please do. Is there any um, audience questions? Just a quick note to say that because the audience questions are hard to hear, I've re-recorded the questions for you. You said that you're feeling comfortable talking about your OCD here to people you don't know. Have you disclosed it to anyone you do know and how did they react? Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, I think it was really good we were touching on the professional. Um, I think we're at the society we live in at the moment, we're all developing our emotional intelligence and our understanding of how we support colleagues who are who, who make a disclosure themselves about certain th conditions that they have or, or you know um, mental illness and that kind of thing. Um, I went into the to the job that I current that I just um, currently I'm not working in right now. Um, I didn't disclose it to them. I didn't know how. I didn't have the resources or the know-how. It was five years ago when I started. That wasn't really a thing. I thought it would be a reason not to be able to get a job. Um, and it was... So all of that kind of was going on and I just had to manage it outside of my work. I think there's a lot of people who are probably still doing that and, and being quite fearful about opening up. Um, but I did tell my family. And I think it, it actually took me two years in therapy before I even started to be able to feel comfortable to open up to my therapist and tell him what was going on. Um, at which point um, I started to talk to my family as well. And it turned out my sister also was suffering from that and had no idea. Um, she had maternal OCD when she had her first child. Uh, so it was actually, it was really helpful for the family because I think sometimes these things do, um, you know, happen within the family or, or you know, that, that's a thing which is going on and, and the, know, the knowing about it is helpful for everyone so that we can function better as a unit. Um, so it was well received and I'm really lucky. Um, I think maybe about five years ago when the family was in a different place, if I'd have opened up and said something, I, that might have been laughed down. Um, and when you hear certain thoughts which are scary or you hear that people are going through things which sound terrifying to you, it can be your first reaction to have a laugh at it because it's frightening and it doesn't necessarily feel comfortable. Um, so, yeah, opening up is part of a process and I think it, it takes time for you to feel like you're comfortable enough. It, it, and it's great if you get the support. That we were talking earlier about um, so what someone in my family to my mum did, you know, find a penny, pick it up, then all day you'll have good luck, and handed it to my mum. And it was my mum's sister, so, you know, this was maybe however many years ago, they've been sisters for over 50 years. But my mum had never spoke about it with anybody in the family at all. So my mum just didn't want to take this penny. And obviously that seemed mad to her sister who was giving her a penny for good luck and wanted her to take it. Um, and it was actually after this project launched and my family started to talk to each other um, that she said, I remember that time when you didn't take the penny and they, they spoke about it and uh, equally from both sides, how 
hard it had been for my mum and how she was in her brain, she was saying, just take the penny and then they won't know, but she couldn't get herself to take it. But then on the other side, uh, my sister was like, her sister, sorry, was like, if I'm really honest, I thought you were, you know, being really rude. I couldn't understand why you were acting like that. And now so many things happen, moments like that where she'll maybe still go do something and my mum will bristle a little bit and she'll go, oh, don't worry, I'll get it. Or, you know, and I think it's so, in hindsight, it's so simple to think we should have communicated because it's made everything easier. But my mum couldn't find the words to talk about it with her family because it seemed so mad. It seemed so illogical. How did you end up talking about it? Through that? through this project. Okay. Um, because I think I think it does help. The, the powerful thing about the wall is there's so many voices. And I think it does help to go, yeah, I know I sound a bit, but look, here's 20 other people who are saying the same thing, so this is a thing. Um, and, and also, if you don't find the words, to share another post and say, it's kind of like this. Read this other person that isn't me, but this is roughly how I'm feeling, but I just can't say that right now because... It's too much. Yeah, and I think it extends to the bigger picture as well. You know, we're talking about OCD here today, but I think there's a lot of other things that people experience in their minds and, and the workings of the mind. And, and this is all about uh, moving towards what they call psychological safety. You know, there's a lot of research coming out from Google about this and creating an environment where where we're in a position to feel safe enough to just share these things. And then they, they become a lot easier to manage, I think, and to cope with. Absolutely. Do we have any other questions from the audience? You said it started quite young. Did you manage to speak to anybody when you were at that age? No, I think one of the first thoughts I thought about this earlier, one of the first thoughts I had was that um, I needed to... It was... I don't know how to explain it. Um, my mum's friends were kidnappers, so which is completely irrational, you know. I mean, it, I... Now, I still kind of have these random thoughts sometimes and I just laugh at myself because I'm like, Maxine, come on, come on, you know, and I'm able to manage it. But when I was young, I just used to think, don't go too close to her, don't go too close to her, don't go too close to her, uh, you know, and that would become something. And But I never shared it with anybody to answer your question. It was something that would just internalise. And actually, my mum my said to me for, from a young age, I would be quite quiet often and I'd just sit there and and that would obviously what be what was going on for me. As you can tell, she's not quiet anymore. I'm not quiet at all. <laughs> and, um, and the pro whole process of going to therapy, which was started about six, seven years ago, was all about opening up about this to the people that I trusted because I'm quite a proud person, really, and I've got this external front that I present professionally, so no one would ever question. That's what I want, you know, no one ever questions anything about me, but actually th this has been all about not being strong, being vulnerable and being open and, and moving on from it. But yeah, it's, it can be quite a thing, a lonely thing, an isolating thing to go through, I think, and uh, I just thought it was normal. What was your question? You said that you're in a position now where you're in a much better place. Was that because going to therapy, you were talking about it? Yeah, I think for me, being able to externalise what had been kept inside for such a long time and regarded as normal was a really 
cathartic part or it was a fundamental part of the healing process for me and, and the recovery but I also think that I tried a lot of different things so there was cognitive behavioral therapy CBT there there was examining my thoughts which was quite a bit of personal work that I did myself and there's a lot online that you can find to help you to do that um yeah, so I, I think it was a blend of lots of different things and, and a massive will to try and overcome what was happening because uh, it wasn't sustainable for me. But as, as we spoke about before, I mean, and you were mentioning, I think that there are different ways that this operates and it's not fully understood. And so there's people that they haven't found an answer at all, that they've, tr they've found ways to live with what they're going through. Um, and so, yeah, I, I guess for me, it, the therapies worked and, and probably because I stuck at it for so long. Brilliant. Thank you, Maxine, for being so okay. honest and open with us. Do stay there. Thank you. <laughs> Our next performer is about to grasp the biggest spider you've ever seen in your lives. Um, because um, even just by being here tonight is, is really quite impressive. This is the first time that John is going to have performed his poem on stage. Come on up, John. John is also um, the creator of these amazing carvings that you may have seen around. Thanks, thanks for having me very much. Um, Whenever I've got something booked in a diary, um, like Christmas or my birthday or something like that, it's, um, the build-up to it um, with anxiety is um, quite incredible, to be honest. And uh, tonight, Liz, I've got to say, this is um, broken all records. It's, uh, <laughs> something else, it's like eight weeks, or eight, 80 weeks or something. <laughs> Sorry. I've made, done a carving, done a carving, um, and I've written a poem to go with it, and it's, um, it's called um, OCDC. It goes like this. Obsessive compulsive direct current. It's me, you see. A more sick head from a recycled sycamore tree. I'm wired outside with an open top, but I'm grateful for the airflow because I sweat a lot. I've got blackbird vision, I can see for three. Blue resin, red dot, the flashbacks come for free. I've got a stiff lower lip that keeps up my chin. A sandpaper face, sore but very smooth skin. I've got sharp steel sutures, shiny staples just for show. But I left them off the carving and I didn't change the flow. Like, fire, fire. I think there's been a fire. Strangely, I can't see up, but think I might have popped a wire. Wax is a treatment, but it's water I require. I think I feel okay, but of this shit, I'm really tired. I'm sane but a curious brain absorbing blame and shame. OCD is part of me and I'm connected to the mainframe. A brain drain, a dark game. Still bring your pain. I'll fight you, COD. And I just played you at your own game. And I'm leveling up. And so's the world, my little devil. Tonight you're being talked about. Awareness bursting bubbles. Sufferers learning to hope and cope, understanding helping troubles. With three fingers down and confidence up, successful treatment surely double. I'll buy the doubles. And if I can ask, please, and you don't mind, help to make the world aware of me and my mental kind. Because we don't do what Norm does and we can't see what Norm sees, but we can do quite a bit. And no one's normal, so please, experiment for OCD. Thank you. Yeah, but um. Wow. <laughs> Come on over. Is this working? 
Oh, yes, I've managed to fix it. Excellent. Um, I asked John um, whether it was okay to handle his carvings, and he said, absolutely, yes. They're, they're indestructible. Um, they are incredible pieces of work. Um, maybe, you know, do... I know when I picked them up for the first time, it, they, they really brought them to life for me. It's okay, someone's already broken one. That's, uh, <laughs> that's his inner compass you've just found, which is incredible. But um, do, you know, perhaps pass them around the tables if you haven't got one on your table so other people can feel them and touch them. Um, there's one with barbed wire on, so... Um, Please don't injure yourselves, but um, they're, they're quite incredible. Um, John, wow. Um, your first verse of your poem goes, A more sick head from a recycled sycamore tree. I'm wired outside with an open top, but I'm grateful for the airflow because I sweat a lot. Um, that was probably a pretty sweaty moment doing that. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, and I know that sort of coming out and meeting people causes you a lot of anxiety. Um, how on earth did you manage to get yourself up on that stage tonight? I, um, I love people to start with, um, but these, um, um, I've done, I've got a carving, and it's over, I think the back is a log, and it's got um, a dig written on the front of it, and it's called risk assessment. It's covered in nails, and the nails represent all the risks that are out there. Um, um, I basically, I'm always waiting for something to go wrong, something nasty to happen in my life. Um, and ultimately, it's um, what I call a fatal incident that will, will happen one day and all, um, uh, there'll be no coming back from. It hasn't happened yet. And I think a lot of people who know me don't think it ever will, um, but that doesn't stop me worrying about it. So it's a lot easier, to be honest, to stay inside um, and not come out and meet people. Um, how come you're here tonight, The then? reason I have <laughs> is because there's another side of me who wants to um, um, achieve something with my life. And, and, and when, I was a, when I was a young man, about 20, um, I, I just wanted to be old. I didn't want to be dead or anything. I wanted to be old so I didn't have to live with what I was living with. Um, and now I'm 45. Um, um, uh, I, 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 want, I, want, I want to do something um, with my life. And, and also, Liz, when you contacted me... Um, well, when we got together a few weeks ago, I, 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 how can I say no to this? Because this is all about awareness, and it's so important that people sit down and talk, whether it's OCD, OCD or not. It's always good to talk to someone, um, um, and you get um, you get um, you get a lot of lot of things out of it. And raising awareness for something that's such a nasty little illness, it's even hard to explain to people who've got it. Um, yeah, it's hard. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's, well that's that's why we're here to fight the fight the cause and well done. The <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it, I know we've already spoken, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it feels like our experiences of OCD are quite different. Yep, yep. Yeah, I, I wonder, kind of, how you felt delivering that and. If you can tell us a bit more well, about the, the process. The, the, that, that, the, 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 that's, um, that's, a good, that's, that's a good thing to say, I think, because the, the, this really does... Um, it tackles a certain part of OCD, the anxiety, they're always building up to something. And I'm always building up to, for something to go wrong in my life, but I don't think that did go wrong. It didn't. It didn't yeah. go, go wrong, <laughs> which I've been worrying about for weeks, and um, I'll have a great breakfast tomorrow. And that's maybe playing a so has your anxiety gone now? Um, this feels great, doesn't it? Yeah. This does feel, this does feel good. Yeah. And, um, 
Yeah. Normally, I do a poem after a bottle of wine, but that's a glass, so well I'll uh, make up for it later, maybe. Well done. So I can't see anything either. So do you yeah. feel like when you're, if you've had a drink or something like that, it gets worse or it's better? It helps. Um, it's better for me. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite bad with um, um, the, the way to deal with OCD. I have had therapy, and and CBT is a brilliant thing. It, it's an absolute brilliant thing, and that, and that comes back to just to the talking and communicating. Um, the 10 weeks of CBT I had 10 years ago didn't really work. Um, so unfortunately, I have adapted to living with OCD quite largely. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's good. And I've certainly got to work on it. And, and, and the, more, the more I meet people, I went to the OCD UK conference a week, two weeks ago. Um, and there was 220 people in the room who got OCD. And I talked to a lot of them. And that, that's an incredible feeling. I've never seen that before. And um, uh, yeah, to live with it for... 45 years and then um, it's wonderful. So yeah, I want to crack on and fight, fight this little thing, this nasty thing. There's um, a carving which has got the hood on it. Is that, who's got that? Uh, yeah, brilliant. So I don't know whether you guys can see that, but um, it's an incredible piece. Could you just tell us about that carving? Yeah, that's called um, um, OCD and Me. Uh, and the D is D double E. It's a nickname for my wife, one of my wife's nicknames. Um, she, 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 she's on the back of the carving. It's my head, and she's on the back of the carving, standing on head um, riddled with um, OCD, um, and she's um, she's looking into my head and, and guiding me. And it's, it's it's all about the help that other people can give you. And I think the the vital role that other people play. There's always a carer with someone with OCD um, um, somewhere around, and um, the 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 help that they give is vital. And it often goes unnoticed. That's why there's a hat over the um, hide, hiding her good work. Okay. Got to say, she's um, she's wearing the Welsh um, Rugby um, Union number ten jersey, and that's a famous jersey. And it's the outside half position. And um, got to say, after 20 years of supporting me, she really is my outside half. Um, oh. <laughs> when we were talking um, before in preparation for this, um, you told you gave me an example of when you were in the kitchen and you're yep. say chopping an onion, yep, yep. you have to you ask your wife um, to leave the kitchen. Yep, yep. Why is that? Well, uh, if, if if I've got a knife in my hand, um, I'll instantly think that I, I could do something nasty with it. But if my cat's going through the door, I could do I could slam the door in the in the in the, in the cat's head. Um, head. I could also set fire to my cat. Um, actually, I've had two two new ones this evening. When Maxine was performing, I could have stood up and shouted all over her and thrown my drink over all of you. And that, that's it. They're, they're intrusive thoughts as well, and, and they just keep coming. This um, it's a constant thing with me. They, they don't, they're not going anywhere. Um, but neither am I. So you know. Yeah. Good, yeah. good. Yeah, I've had that sometimes when I'm in front of a massive room of people, so about 120 people, and I'm speaking like this, and I just get the thought of shout some swear words. Yeah. Just say <laughs> I don't really want to be here, yeah. and start swearing, and you're literally that. You know that that's normal. Yeah. It's there, yeah. and it's yeah. on your shoulder, and yeah. you're literally just like. Carry on speaking. Yeah, yeah. And the compulsion isn't, isn't, isn't so important in there because my compulsion might be a flinch. You, you might not do anything, but we're still having the same thoughts. So Yeah. Um, no, yeah, my compulsion... Well, the compulsion is just literally like, I need to get out of this. I need to finish what I'm saying. I need to get out of this situation as soon as possible so nobody can see me like this yeah. or, 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 or see uh, any clues as to yeah. what's going on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. neither of you did either of those things ever, um, and you never would, right? No, never, never. Um, yeah. 
The thought of causing um, harm to somebody or just doing something wrong or just messing up any situation just simply because I can and because I really don't want to is the, is the big thing with me. And, and there's triggers everywhere. That, that's, that's, um, yeah, li li life's quite hard for, that, for, 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 for triggers, really. So. I think, and, and yeah, and it can be quite terrifying in that <coughs> sense because you're feeling like you're being bullied by a thought which Absolutely. you you feel like at your core you know it's not true yeah. but there's something in your mind that keeps telling you it's true it's true it's true it's true and then at your core you start to freeze almost and feel like well maybe I am maybe that is that is true I'm sure that's like that happens in something like abuse emotional abuse where you're told something, a child might be told something enough times and then they might start to believe that it's true. You're in that war, that battle in your own mind. Your wife, Sarah's in the audience tonight. Do you mind, Sarah, can I borrow no, one please, of the mics? Please, she should do some work. <laughs> um, I think we'd all be very interested to know, you know, when you're asked to leave the kitchen because he's got a knife in his hand, what does that feel like? Um, well, I've put up with it for about 20 years, so I suppose it's a bit strange because I'm quite accustomed to that. It might seem really strange to everybody else in the room, but to me, that's quite normal. Um, it doesn't bother me because I don't worry at all he's going to hurt me. I don't have any concerns whatsoever. I don't have any doubts. I don't feel any worry about my safety. Um, so in that sense, it's, it, I can brush it off, but what is hard is seeing it in his face, in his eyes in his body movements, his fingers curl round, his body clenches up. Um, and it's just sad. It's just sad because I part of OCD is that I shouldn't reassure him. Um, but all they want, people with stuff with OCD, is reassurance. So he wants me to tell him it's okay. And I've got to try and um, ignore the behavior. And it, it's really tricky. So this might sound really inappropriate, so I do apologize. But be warned. So if he says, oh, my God, I just thought I could stab you in the head, I say, oh, God, good job you didn't, because I might just stab you back in the eye. And, I don't really, <laughs> and it sounds a bit weird, but there's something about, like, the reality. I just have to bounce. You know, we have these kind of moments. He looks at me and goes, yeah, OK, thank you. <laughs> is that it's reassurance? It's a reality check. It does, it's a reality Sometimes. check. Sometimes. That, that's quite a good thing. It's, uh, it's yeah. not official CBT, but... It's not official. Don't do it at home. It's not. All the psychologists in the country would be screaming, no. Um, but yeah, it's, it's traumatizing because I feel happy and safe and secure. And it's very painful to watch someone you love worry about things you know they won't do. Uh, it's heartbreaking, actually. But you do get hardened to it. And that's the bizarre nature of OCD. It's, we've been together 20 years and it's been around for 20 years. So, Do we have any questions from the audience? Because it's been around for so long, do you accept you will have to live with it for the rest of your life and that you're just going to have to manage it? I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's two sides, two things to say here. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm quite tough and I feel very sorry for, for, for a lot of people who've got OCD who are um, quite downtrodden and, um, um, and, and, and don't have um, a, cert, a, a, a certain strength. But with regards to me curing myself, that, that, that means... Um, exposure therapy I think and um, some of the exposure therapy that has been suggested and I would have to go through is kind of you know I might um, well it's, it's really tough because if you can imagine the, the worst harm you could cause to the worst the most vulnerable people in society it, it's really hard I'm not I, I think there might be need be another step between me and um, do you want to ask me about my breakdown <laughs> shall I ask him about his breakdown <laughs> 
Tell us oh, about your breakdown. No, tell us how you found out about that you had OCD. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm 45 now, so when I was 30, I, I, I already, I, I knew I had a lot of issues all my life. Um, and maybe in my 20s, someone mentioned the word, the, word, um, the letters OCD. Um, and I had a little bit of hypnotherapy from someone who didn't know anything about OCD. But basically, when I was 35, 35 so 10 years ago, um, um, I was, um, my, my brother, he's not here tonight, so this is fine. It was, um, he, he came to my house with his newborn daughter and just gave me his baby, wrapped in little blankets, and I, and I held her for, for five minutes in my arms. And, um, and I'd already, be, already been worrying for years about um, the fact that this might have happened, even. And um, the next day, I, was, um, I had a breakdown. I was taken to the, um, ca carried into the, the GPs by my mum, dad, and my wife. Um, I, I, I didn't know what had happened, what I'd done. When I was holding, all I did was hold, hold my brother's baby. And um, all, all my nerves, all my senses were heightened. I was just a rigid thing. I just, just, just held it, and that, and that was it. And the day after, my, my life collapsed, and um, I didn't know what I'd done. Um, um, yeah, and the doctor diagnosed me with OCD within um, about 30 seconds, I think. <laughs> um, but she, she was really good and, and, and really, really clear. She got to see the right doctor at, at the same time. Um, so you were 35 before you even realised what it was, yeah, but yeah. you've been having these issues since, yeah, well, yeah. since what age? Um, since the age of... Um, I first had um, six, I think. Um, six, I had very dark thoughts about death. Um, um, mo mostly around my mum dying and then by the age of eight I had terrible thoughts of preferring my best friend's mum to my mum and the guilt that went with that was incredible uh, and, and I actually thought at that stage in my life I couldn't get over it and every year other things just used, used to crop up and I thought I got some serious problems and um, yeah. And once yeah. it had got a label, how did it change? Once you knew what it was, did it change well, things I, for you? When I knew what it was, I thought it was brilliant because I'd been I'd been recognised. So um, if if I it'd been diagnosed, so it was official that I had OCD. which was brilliant. So if if I ever did commit any crime, then uh, people would easily be able to see that I had OCD, and that, that just made me feel slightly better. <laughs> the other thing that made me feel the, the other thing that made I know that sounds funny, but it's, it's a serious part of it. The other, the other thing was the, um, the fact that I just knew loads of other people had it as well. And um, it, when you feel like you're in a, a similar boat to other people, it does make, make things easier. And what was it like for you, Sarah? The people that been brilliant. Yeah. Uh, when he was diagnosed, I was completely relieved because ah. I needed somebody else to help. And it was, I always knew it was a bit odd. And that's a polite way. He know, I'm allowed to say this. We've been together a long time. So he told me he was complicated when we first got together. So um, when he got diagnosed, it was a relief because it made sense of so much. So when we first moved in together, he wouldn't let me turn on an oven because he didn't want me to burn myself. And I thought, oh, this is, a, is this what like, boyfriends and girlfriends do? <laughs> <laughs> is this the protocol? I don't get this. Um, but when he got diagnosed, it was a relief because everything, for me, fell in place. But he was very, very ill. And it was a dreadful shame that he had to be that ill to get diagnosed. He was on the floor in a ball like you see on the TV. He was very ill. So it was a relief, but the process... That was 10 years ago. It, nothing happens quickly. And I have great support from um, the pe pe people. And I've got um, a few friends, and um, I see them. I've, I saw one of my great friends first time in five years, two weeks ago. But we went to Wembley to um, the um, Smashing Pumpkins. Um, um, uh, and I've got great support. And I've got two, two guys sitting on my table, as well as my wife, um, and, and, and Sarah's great friend, Rebecca, who have come to support me tonight. And my two gardeners are on the table as well. And, they, and Rob and Nick have been um, brilliant for me for the last 10 years, at least. Um, they're, they're a couple of the only people I see every day and um, um, I think it's really important to have a, um, 
a net, uh, even if it's a small network of people. So um, I, I don't, I really don't feel hard done by. I mean, this is, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I, I, I never want to say the wrong thing. You worried about I, saying I, the wrong thing? I don't feel hard done by. I'm quite strong. Um, thank you for caring. I think you're That's, incredible. Uh, thank you. Thank I'm so excited about this next moment because I never thought I was going to get to say this. But I am now going to welcome to the stage Elvis. <laughs> Elvis is um, going to perform a song that he's written, um, which he first performed at Switzerland's Got Talent. Woo! Woo! So um, the hospital club's got talent tonight. Um, we'll hear a bit more about that after your performance. Yeah. Take it away when you're ready. I remember the moment where we met when I saw her eyes when my thoughts escalated I never felt this before mm, when I glanced at your claws your mesmerizing sharp teeth why the hell is your voice in my head? Every sound from your hungry mouth a big fearful lie at least I hope so faster and faster my heart pounds irrationalities are pumping boiling blood to my brain oh my thoughts are thinking about themselves and I'm sinking into confusion let me go out of this hole Let my thoughts follow their flow Let my heart beat its own beats Oh, let me free from all anxiety about each other your toxic hand is grabbing my neck your long nails are boring through and I'm choking stop breathing my lungs yeah. chemical thoughts are poisoning me that I'm so close to unzip my own veins so let me go out of 
home Let my thoughts follow their flow Let my heart beat its own beats Oh, let me free from all anxiety I'm starting to believe in what you're telling me Every drop of doubt pulls me down compulsively Distorting my memories With the rumination of all the questions Is it clean? Is it closed? Is it safe? Is it open? Is it right? What if it's wrong? Is it off? What if it's on? Am I sick? Am I dying? Are we meant for each other? Is it normal? Is it straight? Is it queer? Is it queer? Is it queer? Is it queer? Listen to me, my friend. This is not the end. You're just stuck in the prison of your own thoughts. Thinking won't get you out. If you did, you would be out. I guess you figure it out all by yourself. The secret is to accept. So make the first step. Face your mind's threat of all the time being scared. Don't fight it, embrace and hail it. It's a battle you have to lose in order to win the It's incredible. Um, also, um, joining us on the stage now, um, we have Maria from the Hospital Club. Um, it's actually all Maria's fault that we're here tonight. Yes, blame me, Liz. Yes, I always do. Um, actually, um, can you tell us why you thought it was a good idea that we staged tonight's event here? First, I have to say, I can't believe we're here. We actually made it after it has been, I think, six months that we've been working on this. Probably, I'm very yeah. proud of the people who put this together and you guys who made it out here. Um, the reason why I thought this event needed to take place that I always thought the soul of this place was to create a safe haven for you to explore your vulnerabilities, to find um, yourself not in just what you do, but who you are. Because a lot of people come in, and this is a creative club, mm -hmm. and I always go back to Paul Allen's question, who Sally passed away, our co-founder, what should exist, and I thought that when he built this place, it was to allow people to ask themselves and not just be, come in and say, I'm a creative, I work in advertising. It's for someone who works in advertising and feels like, hmm, maybe I have an eye for film. What if I give that a go? And I always thought this would be the perfect place to try, fail, try again, try harder, and meet people that can uh, help you achieve that. And I think this event proves that it is more than possible because these people have created amazing things. They haven't just found 
paths to deal with what they're going through. They've created new paths and now they're here opening themselves to you. And I hope that at the end of the day, um, you feel like you are free to share your thoughts as well and try something new. Why not? Well, thanks very much for making it happen, Maria. Thank you. So, Elvis, what was it like performing that on Switzerland's Got Talent? Did they actually understand <laughs> the lyrics? Well, uh, I don't think so. Um, uh, um, well, I mean, uh, I mean, English is like a, the, the fifth language of Switzerland. It's kind of lingua franca, so everybody learns it in school. But I don't think that they actually really understood what I was singing about. Um, I mean, I, I had feedback from people with any types of OCDs contacting me and saying, oh, it's great that you went on television, that you told, you know, your what you had and so forth, but I don't really think that they actually knew what type of OCD that I had. Right, yeah. right. Did you, um, did you get through? Uh, I got the four yeses. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, but, like, they had to choose the, the, the best 20 people who got four yeses, and they took another guy who did a cover by One Direction, and... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but wait, uh, yeah, I mean, but but the thing is that pissed me really off, well, that pissed me off, but the other thing that pissed me off was that on live television they said, oh, but he's better looking than Elvis. Oh. And I was like, seriously? I mean, you, you don't do that. I mean, you know, you're on a talent show, it's not a beauty show, so I was a bit disappointed. Oh, so yeah. we. But I, I, I did do, like, I did a crowdfunding right afterwards where I collected 15,000 Swiss francs, which is, which is around 12,000 pounds, in 45 days. And I recorded the song, I shot a video clip, and it's on YouTube. So if you type in Elvis Gomez, OCD, let me go, you'll find it pretty easily. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> in the lyrics. Man, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> In the lyrics, you've this great line that I love. It's, oh, my thoughts are thinking about themselves. Um, can you talk more about that notion? Sure, yeah. Um, it, it's all about the, like what, what we call meta-thinking. So you're thinking about thinking. You're thinking about thoughts, your own thoughts. And that's all what, what OCD is about. It, it's, it, it's you, you start thinking, well, what if I stab my wife? And then you're like, oh, I just had a thought of stabbing my wife, which isn't true. You didn't have the genuine thought of stabbing your wife. You, you thought about the possibility of stabbing your wife. Uh, so it's, it's really like somebody with OCD is constantly confusing possibilities for, um, well, probabilities, right? So thing, possibility is something that could happen, whereas a probability is something that is likely to happen. Mm. Um, and, and people with OCD, they, they, they are always confusing these two things uh, together. And that's, that's how the, well, OCD is a pathological doubt. And that's how the pathological doubt is maintained about that certain topic mm. that the person is obsessing about. I see. Um, later on in the song, you've got this section which goes, is it normal? No. Is it straight? It's not. Is it queer? Gay? Is it queer? Gay? Is it queer? So essentially your OCD was making you question your own sexual orientation. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, does that actually mean you're homophobic? 
<laughs> Sorry. No. <laughs> um, no, no. Uh, like, no, uh, because, I mean, I, I've had gay friends for, um, well, since my teenage years, to be honest. Um, I'm living with, with a gay flatmate. I have, I'm doing a PhD here in London, and my, my supervisor is gay. In the office, I have... I would say 50% of the people are LGBTQ+. Plus. Um, and so, no, I wouldn't say that I'm homophobic. Um, there is nothing wrong about questioning one's sexuality. And coming back, what was said before is like, you know, when does it become OCD? It's mm -hmm. when you cannot stop the questioning. It's really something that just goes on and on and on. You, It starts when you wake up in the morning and it just doesn't stop. Even when you're sleeping, you're dreaming about it. In my case, it, it, it all, it, it was all about me being gay. So I couldn't like sit with crossed legs because then I would have the thought, oh, if you're sitting like this, it means that you're gay. Because in our society, well, this is a pretty feminine behavior, apparently. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to, um, songs written by male singers because then I would have the thought, oh, you're liking those singers, it means that you're gay, or I can listen to, I don't know, Britney Spears or Beyonce because <laughs> that would mean that I'm gay. So it's, it's really like <laughs> as if I had like glasses with rainbow flags and everywhere just was like gay, 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 everywhere. Like even if I, I would just take it like this, oh, that means I'm gay. I mean, it, it was just completely irrational. Um, yeah. Mm. I'm kind of curious, though. I feel odd to say that I'm curious about this, but can you pinpoint the exact moment when it all started? Because mm. we heard about all these people and all these thoughts, but where was it born? Do you remember the moment? Do you recall it? Yeah, yeah. It was on, on the 18th of February, 2012. I was on my way uh, to university uh, in a train, and th th there was this handsome-looking man with a brown leather jacket and the yellow stripes on, on his arms, like the one that Hugh Jackman wears in The Wolverine. <laughs> so I was looking at him, and I was like, oh, yeah, he, he looks handsome. And then, well, I was sitting like this, actually. So I was, I was like this, okay? And so I was seeing that guy, and I was like, oh, yeah, he, he looks handsome. And then I had the thought, well, whoa, if you think that, then you're gay. And then suddenly, like, my heart started to beat very, very fast, and I couldn't breathe anymore. And then the other thought came up, oh, you're sitting like this, which means that you're gay. So I had, you know, to readdress myself and and that's just how it started like I, I just couldn't stop this questioning at all which was a very weird thing because I had actually questioned my sexuality when I was a teenager um, but like I, I always fell in love for um, girls uh, uh, I was never sexually attracted to other guys and and that was just very 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 strange and w which led to the point where there was a moment where for two weeks I, I didn't go out uh, of my apartment um, and I was constantly on, on the internet either asking Google like how do I know if I'm not gay, what do gay people do, what, what, is, what is it, what, what, how can I know that I'm not gay, like I, I was trying to find the perfect question so that Google could give me the answer that I was not gay <laughs> or I would just spend my days like watching any type of pornography and, and seeing if I was sexually aroused to the woman or man and that went on to the point where I was literally sick of having the anxiety and the thoughts and I, I, I was ready to kill myself. I, I literally had the knife on my veins and I was looking into the mirror, in, in, to the mirror and 
and and somehow I just thought, don't do this because there are people who love you, um, who you know they will miss you. And then at that moment, I actually got the thought, well, hmm, there are gay people, and they're pretty happy, so why don't you come out? So I was like, oh yeah, well that sounds that sounds reasonable. So I actually went to my friends and my family, and I did a coming out. I told them, well, listen, guys, I think I might be gay. They're like, what? <laughs> um, okay. Uh, well, if you say so, yeah, we, we, we're accepting you. I mean, yeah, but we never thought that you were gay. I was like, well, yeah, you know, I have these things, <laughs> it, uh, the obsessions, and it just doesn't go away. So I thought that it would do any good, but it just made it worse. Because then I started thinking, well, you actually did a coming out, so it actually means that you're gay, doesn't it? <laughs> so it just went on and on and on and on and on and yeah. How did you negotiate this conversation with these LGBT friends that you have now? Because you talk about this with your friends. Yeah. How did they receive it? Huh. Well, <laughs> <laughs> they like uh, b because it's something that, that it's not talked about. That there's a lot of misunderstanding. Um, even like I, I'm doing research about that type of OCD actually, and whenever I'm 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 presenting it in front of, of ac academics, there's always one person from the LGBT community who says oh, but isn't that homophobic? Aren't you promoting conversion therapy, which is extremely problematic, which is the type of therapy that religious fundamentalists give to, to gay people so that they could cure homosexuality, wow. which is horrible. It's really horrible. Um, so w once I start to tell them, to ask them how they discovered that they were gay, and we compare both situations, they're like, hmm, actually, yeah, like, it, it just doesn't, like, I never had this constantly thing. Like, once I did it coming out, for me, it was very liberating, and I felt so happy, whereas I didn't feel happy at all. It was the opposite. I felt, I felt even worse. Um, does that answer your question? It does indeed, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like when you then had to go back in the closet? <laughs> yeah, right? It, it is so weird. Um, huh. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, I had to learn, I had to figure a way how to stop the obsessions. So I went to therapy. I had four different therapists in my life, um, and only one of them completely nailed it from day one. Um, and because, like, I was constantly ruminating, okay, am I gay? Am I straight? Am I bi? It, it seemed to me that it, it was all about labeling, okay? so. I personally found it very useful to just stop labeling my sexuality and just saying, well, I'm just a sexual human being. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I, was, I wasn't like fighting against the thought. I wasn't ruminating on the thought anymore because it, it is actually true that I am a sexual human being. But then it doesn't give me the space to obsess whether I would be gay or straight. So at the beginning, it was very hard to do so, but now I'm just whatever. It's true. If we can get rid of some of the labels, um, life would be a lot easier, wouldn't it, on all sorts of levels? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so are there any questions from the audience? Once your mindset changed and you knew who you were, did your OCD transfer to a different question or did it just subside? Um, during my OCD, I actually like the, the, I had some some uh, intrusive thoughts about pedophilia and and um, relationships. Like I couldn't. I, I was in a long distance relationship, um, and at that time, 
I couldn't close the chat window of Facebook of my girlfriend because that would mean that I wouldn't love her, hence I would be gay. So like, it's really like this, like if you can imagine something being possibly having the meaning gay, well, the mind just goes somehow and connects to it. So no, no, like I, once, once I, I went to therapy, I, I did my exposure. So like exposure means that you're exposing yourself to the anxiety triggers. So for me, it was like whenever I was walking um, down the road and I would see a good looking man and I would have the thought of having sex with him, then I would not trying to stop the thought, but just imagine the whole scenario. Um, which at first was very, very anxiety provoking, but then with time it just completely vanished. So th my theme was really centered on sexuality. And I actually have a theory why that was, because during my teenage years, I was a very um, naive young man who just wasn't successful with girls. I was always friend zoned. Yeah, <laughs> I was always the big brother, you know what I mean? Like, I was never the lover, I was always the big brother. Um, and, and because I really wanted to have a girlfriend so much, I started to obsess about that specific theme. Because I put so much um, value into having a, a girlfriend so that I could build up my own self-worth. And I think that's why I, I just got stuck within that specific theme. Did I answer your question? Great. There was, there was another, another question yeah. When your OCD was gone, were there any aspects of it that you missed? Ooh, that's a very nice question. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to, but that's the thing, and that goes with the misunderstanding because people are like, well, you know, OCD, you can be perfectionist and blah, blah, blah. But people forget the, the D in OCD, the disorder, okay? It, it's something that nobody wants. It, it's... And even like when I'm talking to other o uh, OCD sufferers, I'm like, oh yeah, their, their topic doesn't sound that bad. I, I would have preferred to have their topic, but actually no. <laughs> because it's just hell. Like you are literally a prisoner of your own thoughts. You know, and, and it's, it's a weird experience because you know it's irrational and yet you give it some truth value. If I might, I might turn the, the question around, like has it, given to me something positive back, yes. Like, without the OCD, I wouldn't be here today in London doing a PhD about OCD. Like, the OCD, and, and I wouldn't even have gone to, to Switzerland's Got Talent performing a song. So like, I, I found my way to, you know, get some positive out of this um, horrible mental disorder that, that is OCD. Yeah. Can I just add uh, another thing? Um, j just so that you know, because like, I might, I might be, like, you might think, oh, okay, so a white man having doubts about his sexuality, he's just in denial, you know, and fact is, there are LGBTQ people <clears throat> who obsess about being not LGBTQ people, so a gay man obsessing about becoming straight. I mean, and I've met, I've met people who had the, these obsessions. So like the, the anxiety, it's, it, it doesn't come from homophobic beliefs, and there are studies that have been done ab about this. The anxiety is really rooted in a fear of losing your identity, the identity that you constructed through your life and, and that you really cherish. 
Um, and, and that's where, where the OCD just latches onto and tries to demolish it with, with a pathological doubt. Mm -hmm. Because OCD at the end of the day is a reasoning disorder. Because you're unable to actually just let the possibility be a possibility, not putting too much you know, truth value on that possibility that you're obsessing about. Which brings us very nicely back to the theme of tonight, which was all about our identity and our vulnerable selves. And so thank you for bringing that back around to that. You're Appreciate welcome. that. Um, uh, we've got time for one more question, if there is a burning question out there. Yes, at the back. I'm wondering if you feel that having OCD gives you a natural inbuilt creativity because you have a sharper awareness of the world around you. I mean, people with OCD are super creative. Mm. They, they're probably the smartest and most creative people that I've ever met. Because, okay. like, who, who the hell can think about the horrible things that, that, you know, people with OCD can think about? So, like, th their minds are creating all the time, create in, in a very creative way, possible scenarios, right? Like, okay, let's break the glass and just stab you, you know, like... Thank you. Uh, Please don't. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Um, <laughs> but, but, I mean, and, 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 and you know, just, you know, the, the, the statues and, and, and the poems, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's just, that proves that, you know, people with OCD have so much uh, creative potential. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what we've seen. I mean, um, you know, all the work that's submitted to us um, on The Secret Illness, because it's gone beyond the wall post now. We have poems, we've done animations, um, we do events, you know, open mic events and stuff like that. Everything that comes in is um, at an extraordinary high level. And I work professionally in the creative industry. And so I was a little worried when we put the call out as to the quality of the work we were going to get in. You know, what do we do if we get something that's a bit rubbish, you know? Um, and, and it just hasn't happened. It's all been, you know, and these are all amateur, you know, most of them are not professional creative people, but the quality of work is is incredible. And, um, you know, I'm not a medical person. Um, this is just from my experience of doing the project. One of the things I've found is I think because people with OCD are very deep thinkers, they're very good at critical thinking. And so the depth of the work and the quality of the work that comes through is really incredible. And so while I would not wish OCD on any, um, anybody at all, there is the sort of the double-edged sword thing where it does produce some incredible, <laughs> incredible work. We're going to bring this evening Reggie to a close now, but um, could you just start to play the music we heard right at the beginning? Everybody working on The Secret Illness is a volunteer. And here's a great example of quality of work. Um, this music was composed specially for tonight to lead us into the verbatim um, theatre piece you saw. And this was composed by Mitch Grusing, and he lives in Minneapolis. So it's a little bit far for him to come tonight, otherwise I'd love to be him to be here. Um, so I asked him, you know, to tell me a little bit more about the inspiration behind the composition that he, he did. Um, and he says that the beginning, so the bit you're hearing now, is a state of calm. Um, there are patterns, but everything's okay. The second state is a state of being obsessed with counting. It's a restless state, it's filled with mental interruptions. Then the altern alternating third and fourth sections are this development of repetitive thoughts with compulsive patterns in the background. And then it moves on to the fifth section, which is all concerned with symmetry. So the number of notes in each chord, the way in which each chord shrinks and then expands, and the number of times each chord is played. 
and the transitions um, being loud and soft, all of it's very symmetrical. And this, sem this symmetry, this sense of order is what the music's trying to cling to as it starts to lose control at the very end. And I think you'll probably all remember the moment at the very end where it, it does lose control. And he went on to say that actually <laughs> he realizes that this piece is largely autobiographical for him. So um, can we, even though he's not here, can we clap really loudly so he can hear it in Minneapolis? Thank you, Mitch. Um, we, Becca and I, really didn't know what to expect when we first started this project. After all, it, we had had several bottles of white wine um, at that point, and it was one of those mornings the day after you think, was that a good idea or not? Um, but we certainly didn't expect to be doing this tonight. Um, and tonight's been a real milestone for us in this project because it's actually the first time we've presented to what we call a non-OCD audience. Um, and I hope you know, you've found that useful or interesting in, in some way and we'd be very interested to hear your feedback if you aren't somebody who knows anything about OCD as to what you made of tonight so do come and find us afterwards um, I do really want to thank um, all the performers tonight as I say everyone's a volunteer um, first of all um, our actors Ollie Sophia, Steve, and obviously Becca as well. Um, they, you know, workshop this um, and spent time putting this together and then did an incredible performance. So thank you very much. <laughs> and then we get to Maxine. Woo, you still there at the back, yes. Um, I mean, you, you're, you're incredible inspiration, and um, I, I think everybody really appreciated not only your incredible performance with the spider, but also your really honest and, and well thought through words tonight in the discussion. So thank you very much, Maxine. John Tilly, how big's your spider now? It, it's a bit smaller. Excellent. That, that was absolutely incredible. And um, I really don't quite know how you managed to bring yourself up onto the stage tonight. Um, I, I, I just can't thank you enough. And I think enormous applause goes to you. And can we give Sarah a little clap because you're amazing too. Elvis, wow. Were, were we a better audience than Switzerland's Got Talent? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> At least you understood the song. <laughs> <laughs> and who thinks he's more handsome than the guy? We don't know what the guy looked like, but, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much, Elvis. And, and thank you to Maria for making this happen. You're amazing. And to Matt, who's done all the sound and lighting so well tonight. Um, if you do ever come across somebody who you think may have OCD, um, um, I asked somebody the other day about, you know, what advice should I give the audience? And her words were, 
listen, be empathetic, be compassionate. Um, and I think those are probably, well, I think Sarah echoed that um, certainly earlier on. Um, if you <laughs> If you do know someone who has it, um, there, as well as The Secret Honest, do send them over there because it's a great opportunity to read other people's experiences and see some of their work. But there are some, um, there's an incredible charity out there called OCD Action. Um, we've got people from OCD Action here, um, Christian. They run a helpline, um, a, a very valuable support line. So that's another good place to, to send people. Um, I, I'm really, really pleased with how this evening has gone, and I can't thank you all enough. Um, do head over to thesecrethonest.com if you want to get involved in any which way. Um, you'll find all the details of how to get in contact with me. My name is Liz Smith. Um, and um, I think to, like, kind of leave us on a happy note tonight, Elvis, would you play us another song? Sure. <laughs> Listening back to the recording in order to make this podcast has brought back some really positive emotions and memories from that evening. It was the first time we ever held an event like that. It was a complete experiment. But thanks to the success of that evening, I'm now going to be running a whole series of events in a similar vein. The events are called What's Going On In Your Head. You can find out more details about it, how to get involved, upcoming dates on the website, which is whatsgoingoninyourhead.org. Each of the events are going to explore different aspects of the secret inner workings of our minds and we hope that through them we'll be able to build a lot more knowledge and understanding around all sorts of mental health issues. The Secret Illness is going to be at the OCD Action Conference in London, um, that's on the 7th of May in 2019 and we're developing some new performance pieces for that so if you'd like to get involved please contact us through the website thesecretillness.com or on Twitter or on Facebook and that's at Secret Illness. And finally, if you're enjoying the Secret Illness podcasts and you're finding them interesting, please do rate and review them on whatever platform it is you get your podcasts on, because that will really help other people find it.